Hello! Hey guys, it's Arden Cho. Hey, I'm Holland Roden. Hello, this is Ian Bowen. Hey you guys, this is Melissa Poncio. Hi, I'm Lyndon Ashby. Hi, I'm Dylan Sparberry. This is Megan Tandy. This is Tyler Posey, and you are listening to Not Another... Not Another... Not Another... This is Not Another Team Wolf Podcast. Yes, it is! Oh! Woo! Hey, this is Jeff Davis. You're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast, my favorite podcast in the world. So I don't lose sight of what I want And I move further than I thought I could But I missed you more than I thought I would And I'll lose you as a warning sign that if you talk enough sense, then you'll lose your mind. Hi everyone, welcome to Not Another Teen Wolf podcast for the week. Uh, we are recording our episode 105, uh, recapping season 5, episode 8, Ouroboros, which we've practiced saying quite a few times. Karen and I are joined this week by a special guest who I'll introduce in a moment, uh, but we are here, your lead hosts, Karen and myself. I'm Natalie, if you're tuning in for the first time. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us after the show uh, with any opinions on what we've had to say or any thoughts about what's coming up with Teen Wolf, uh, you can reach us on our Twitter, which is NATW Podcast. You can reach us on our email, which is natwpodcast at gmail.com. You can join us on Tumblr, which is notanotherteenwolfpodcast.tumblr.com. You can go on our Instagram, which is natwpodcast, or you can comment on this post on hyperball.com, our parent site, and, uh, and leave a comment on the podcast page there. So, as I said, we've got myself with you today. We've got Karen. So, hello, Karen. Hi. Hi, Karen. And we also have a guest from Teen Wolf, Will Wallace, who's been on the podcast before. Hi, Will. Hey, how are you all today? Good, good. So the reason that we're having Will on this week is because you may or may not have noticed that he is credited as the lead writer for this episode. And Will has been on the podcast before. He came on to talk about his role at Teen Wolf as a writer's assistant, which was a lot of fun, very interesting, and a lot of people really like that podcast. Uh, but it just goes to, you know, show that, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, hard work and ambition, etc., pays off because uh, he, yeah, got to headline the writing for this episode, which we're going to talk a little bit more about how that worked for him l- later in the show. He's sitting with us through the whole recap, though, because uh, as we were kind of talking about before I started the podcast, usually when we do an interview, we don't have the person on for our standard recap because it can be a bit awkward if we're talking, you know, if we're if we're asking each other questions that, you know, to the person would be really boring or really stupid, like, you know, our, our own theories, or if we're saying something critical or that we didn't understand it, you know, it, it's a bit awkward to have the interview subject there during that. However, Will, 
apart from being a you know staff writer um, and assistant on Teen Wolf, also listens to our podcast quite a lot. And he was going to listen to this episode regardless of whether we had him on or not. So anything that we had to say about the episode that he wrote, he was going to hear it regardless. So he's going to just sit here and talk through us with the whole episode, which is really, really fun um, and, and hopefully should be a good time for everyone. So thank you very much for joining us um, and for, um, yeah, basically sitting sitting through this with us. So hopefully this was a good week for you uh, to, to get to show off uh, to, I guess, all your family, friends, etc. cetera, uh, the episode that you wrote. Oh no, it, it's been wonderful. Uh, it's it's been a, a great time so far, and and Monday was a great day. I got a lot of texts and and uh, messages on Facebook and and stuff like that from family and friends. And uh, you're absolutely right. I would be listening to this podcast uh, anyway, so I am happy to be here for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, he's he, yeah. We knew he was going to be like, what have Karen and Natalie had to say about my episode, regardless <laughs> of regardless of whether he was here or not. So he's here and he's going to give us some insight. Uh, first of all, we're going to go through our, you know, our favorite quotes of the episode as we do every week. Um, and Will is included in that this week. So my favorite was when Sheriff, uh, confronted the Yukimoras about their claim, uh, you know, with Kira's dad being the, uh, quote unquote murderer. And he says, this is what you're going to go with. This is your story. And Mrs. Yukimura says, are you prepared to tell a different one? Because... I just love everything about what they did, like her parents in this episode and how they just, both them and Melissa are sort of very done with, you know, this, you know, strange handling of the supernatural things in the law because that's a big factor of this episode that we'll talk about, like about what side of that is kind of the best way to handle it. But Karen, yours was kind of also in relation to that concept. Yeah, this is sort of when Melissa confronts the sheriff and she's getting really sassy with him, which was amazing. And and he wants her statement, but she gives him the real statement. And he's like, um, are you kidding? And she's like, you're right. I forgot about the Dread Doctors. <laughs> and she takes it back to keep writing. It was amazing. Yeah. How about you, Will? What was your favorite quote, uh, I guess? Uh, and did you have a, a, I guess, a hand in in creating it? Was it some, was it your own words, or was it something that the writing team came up with together? Well, as far as Karen's quote, uh, uh, that whole scene between uh, uh, Stalinsky and Melissa was a lot of fun because it was really just figuring out exactly how sassy Melissa was going to be to him, <laughs> you know, and of course. It's in the worst possible time, you know, and but she's like, okay, if we're doing this, we're doing this. And I'm going to write down everything that's happened because this is what you want to do. And it was just a lot of fun uh, just trying to figure out how, again, how sassy she was going to be to him. And then Melissa playing at those dailies were just so much fun to watch. And then it's wonderful in the episode uh, uh, because they're they're just so wonderful together, and Melissa's just the best. Um, but uh, my quote is from the end of the episode when uh, Scott is uh, alone in his room and he's holding the leash from his his dog, and Melissa comes in and he says uh, something's changed, and I think it's because of me. Just uh, uh, and that's that's my favorite quote for the episode, just because uh, we are this whole season is about sort of tearing Scott down, and we're really starting to see him and places that he's never been before and, and just as a writer that's that you always want to do that with your characters you know is really push them to their limits and that is 
what we are doing to Scott this season. And as an audience member, it is very painful. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. We've grouped the discussion um, about this episode into sort of segments of different plot aspects rather than like scene by scene by scene because it did jump around a lot. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was the opening scene of Deaton and then his final scene as well, uh, which is he's somewhere Russian apparently um, at some sort of place that is meant to be a nuclear plant but isn't, uh, where they find experimentation that has been done. The Dread Doctors have been there before. He's off He's off searching for information about the Dread Doctors. Um, and he kind of has a local guide who's heard the stories about what's happened before, and he tells Deaton that the symbol for the Dread Doctors is the Ouroboros, the snake eating its own tail. And that's our first big question, uh, because the Ouroboros um, is something that I've come across before just in life and, you know, mythology. Uh, But it's not historically like an evil thing. It's not like a swastika. You know, it's not like, you know, a symbol of a a, a skull and crossbones. It's it's not actually a, a bad guy mark necessarily, but, you know... So it kind of represents like an eternal cycle, like a phoenix in most mythology, like a uh, end and a beginning and, you know, like a circular life cycle or, you know, circular universe. So, but it does appear in a lot of different legends. So uh, I guess the first question for Will specifically is what can you tell us about kind of what that symbol means to you and why it was chosen for the Dread Doctors, if that's not a spoilery thing? Uh, no, no, it's not spoilery at all. Um, when we were looking for, you know, because all you know, good villains need a symbol, like all of our packs have a symbol and stuff like that. Uh, uh, we were thinking of like, you know, well, what is a symbol of the Dread Doctors? And Jeff actually came upon the Ouroboros, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it's not an evil symbol. It, it, it's something, you know, it's about it's about life and uh, and a cycle and rebirth. And and when we were looking into it, you know. So, um, of course, we saw it and we we're like, oh, that's just an interesting looking symbol. But then when we started researching it, we're like, you know what? Not all of the, you know, this isn't evil, but there are elements of this that really play into who we see um, the Dread Doctors being. And a lot of it is, you know, I can't really talk too much about it because we'll see what's going to happen later in the season and then in the second half of the season. But definitely, you know, things having a cycle and rebirth. But then also the idea that this creature is eating itself. And to what purpose? So it's it's kind of like, um, you know, how far are you willing to go to achieve something, mm. you know, and, and and that's kind of the that's kind of like, you know, the way we do it on Team Wolf where we find something that's real mythology or uh, like the symbols, a real thing that's existed through history. And how do we put our own, you know, stamp on it? And that's basically what we've done with the Ouroboros uh, working with the Dread Doctors as as it's as their symbol. Mm. Because my impression of, uh, my first thought about it as well was that maybe, you know, maybe the Dread Doctors aren't as bad as they seem because I know the Ouroboros isn't inherently evil, but uh, that might be a bit um, (laughs) far-fetched in terms of, you know, whether they have a softer side or anything like that because it, it doesn't really seem like it at this point. I think this is interesting, too, because the only other time that I've seen this symbol was on Hemlock Grove. And on Hemlock Grove, it's sort of like 
I don't want to say evil, but it's like a bad thing as well. And it's like one of the projects that the scientists are a part of. And so I was like kind of surprised to learn that it wasn't like, you know, an inherently evil thing um, just because the only other instance I had seen of it, it was sort of bad too. But this fact that it represents an internal cycle like a phoenix is really interesting to me considering what everybody thinks Parrish is. Um, and I'm just, I'll be curious down the line if at all that could play into it or not. Mm. We'll just have to see. <laughs> um, so basically, Deaton, after he finds his Ouroboros, he finds an experimentation lab uh, with body parts, fetuses worked on in utero, which is really, really gross. Thanks. Uh, and a tooth, um, you know, that has been, I guess, extracted or, or from something. And he says he's kind of he's found what he's looking for, so we're not quite sure what that is at this point. You know, evidence of what he suspects the Dread Doctors are doing, maybe. Um, I've got some questions about the fetuses, um, mainly why? <laughs> uh, why uh, is it? Is it, did you just want to be gross, or is that something that we'll learn about later? Because uh, I've had a couple of theories uh, come up basically um, to do with the very end of the episode, which is the the desert wolf first appearance of that lady. Uh, she comes and, and threatens Deaton, basically kills the other dude, threatens Deaton, um, and asks him about Malia. And he denies all knowledge of Malia, uh, but it turns out that she wants to kill Malia if Malia is still alive. So that the question about why she was shooting at that car is answered. It, it, she was actually trying to kill Malia. And the big question is why? Uh, is the you know the mother just a, a psychopath, or does she know something we don't about Malia? Was Malia an experiment in utero that she knows shouldn't be unleashed on the world and that she's trying to do good. Uh, that was a theory that um, that someone on Twitter had. So, yeah, well, um, you got the kind of the chance to write, I guess, the first scene of the, the Desert Wolf appearing in the show after speaking about her for so long. Uh, is there any insight you can give us about who she is or what side she's on at the moment? Those are all great questions, and I can't wait to answer them at a later time. <laughs> <laughs> You're useless. No, no, no. Come on. Um, no, as, I'm joking. Well, you know, uh, it, it, as as we do with every season, you know, we we've got our intellectual villain and our kind of brute strength villain, mm. and and they usually and sometimes they're not always the stories are running parallel to each other, and then they sort of come together. We'll just have to see what's going to happen with these stories, but. Mm. Uh, all you need to know right now is that the Desert Wolf wants Malia, and she is very capable, and we should be very scared hmm. for Malia. So I think the plot line with the Desert Wolf is so interesting to me because, for one, it's a woman, and like she's terrifying. Let's just throw that out there now, especially because she wants to kill her own daughter. And I feel like something else has to be going on with Malia because... If she just, like, didn't want a daughter or whatever, she would have just ignored her. I mean, Malia was probably halfway across the country. I don't know where the Desert Wolf, like, kind of takes up camp or if she just wanders around anywhere. But Malia was doing her own thing in her own world, had really not too much interest in the Desert Wolf until she learned about her, obviously, and then was kind of going to look for her. But the Desert Wolf could have just remained this elusive character 
And instead, she's going after Malia. Like, she didn't kill her the first time, so she's going to kill her the second time. So I just have to think that something else is going on here. It's not just about being crazy and, you know, wanting her dead. There's a reason why the Desert Wolf wants her dead. And I mean, I'm thinking it's probably tied to the reason why Talia took her away from Peter as well. Like, we originally, like, we was like, is it just because Peter is a crap father? Uh, but if <laughs> Talia took her away and placed her somewhere else and removed the memory of her, maybe it was to stop the Desert Wolf getting the information out of Peter or something like that. Yeah, no, no there's, a, there's a lot going on behind the scenes here that I can't really talk about <laughs> yeah. yet. But yeah, this, this must be so annoying to you, sorry. Um, <laughs> No, no, no. It's it, it it's it's wonderful just because I know y'all like the story and you mm. and you like mm. where you, you're very interested and definitely invested. So it, it sucks because I definitely want to be like, oh my god, here's all this this great backstory we've been talking <laughs> about and all the things that are gonna come later and and of course I just can't tell you anything yet. But we have a whole big deep backstory and you know there's a lot going on, a lot of a lot of, of characters involved. You know, a lot of stuff happened. 18 years ago, <clears throat> you know, when Malia was born and all this type of stuff, and uh, we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, the, the, Malia, the Malia Desert Wolf stuff is really a big part of 5B, mm-hmm. and we're like mm-hmm. 5A is basically laying the, the groundwork for that, and then it's really going to come to a head uh, in 5B. And it's actually stuff we are going to be talking about today when the writer's room opens up, so oh. it's uh, oh, a lot wow. of good stuff coming. Cool. Okay, so let's talk about the sheriff, because he was a huge part of this episode. It was actually really exciting, because I love the sheriff, and Lyndon is amazing. But he shows up to Melissa's house, because she calls him over there, and she says, leave your badge at the door. And he's sort of like, you know, physically or metaphorically, and she's like dead serious. She's like both, actually. And... It was a really wonderful kind of back and forth, and it was sort of like the tension was already high. And so when he walks in and he sees the body, you can tell, like, how serious he is. And it actually doesn't take him too long to radio it in. And then, of course, we get the slap. And that was like, whoa, really intense. It was exciting. I mean, exciting. Wonderful. I don't know. It was. It was like it was. I don't know. I liked it. Um, I liked it because it was less stressful than I thought it was going to be. Like, if you know what I mean. I liked it because it was a heat of the moment situation. But when we saw it in the, you know, things to come in in the premiere, I was imagining something much worse. Like, I mean, this is pretty bad. And actually, someone on Twitter said. Uh, two days later, I could put this in the feedback section, but it's sort of relevant now, said, two days on and I'm still super mad at Stalinsky. How many times has Melissa violated federal medical privacy laws for him? I think he at least o- owes her one off-the-books murder investigation, which uh, <laughs> is is possibly true. Um, but, yeah, I, I just – I was just sort of glad it wasn't over something like he'd said something really rude and unforgivable. Like, this is a kind of – not a good situation because she's like protect the kids and he's like I'm gonna be the law 
But I thought I was imagining some nasty, something really nasty. So I'm kind of glad it wasn't something really nasty. But yeah, yeah, so am I. I would I would agree with you that it was less worrying than we had initially thought. I didn't really know what to think to begin with. It was really shocking seeing it in the premiere because you're like, why would she ever slap him? That's so crazy. But it's totally understandable now. I think it was definitely warranted. And I think the best slash worst thing about this whole situation is that I don't know whose side I'm on. I really can't decide because on the one hand, I get what Melissa is asking. I get that she wants to protect her son and all of his friends. And I understand that you can't necessarily go to the law with this person who has the sword sticking out of her chest and these long nails. I mean, clearly something else is going on here mm-hmm. and they're not going to be able to explain it. And that's going to open a whole can of worms that nobody wants to open. But on the other side, you have the sheriff who's like, look, this is a person who has died and they have family and friends and we owe it to them to figure out what's going on. And the best way to do this is going to be going through the legal system And that's the worst part for me is because I can see both sides and I I don't think I can choose a side. It's it's so difficult. I think that I think with Sheriff and and kind of what he tries to pull later with that quote that you mentioned, you know, of Melissa's statement, it's like, how does he expect to swing this if he's not going to tell the whole truth? He says, like, no more bending the rules. But, you know, does he expect to cover up the fact that it's supernatural and just treat it like a murder investigation? Because I don't understand how that's meant to work for him. But, yeah, Will, what side are you on in this argument? Obviously, um, there's a compelling side for each. But, yeah, what was kind of – what side are we meant to be on, I suppose? Well, that's that's a really tough question. And this whole idea, this, you know, this some stuff, this storyline – Stalinsky and what he's going to go through for for some of this season is just something that came up in the room because as you are all very very well aware uh, a lot of bodies drop every season on our show Mm. and uh, most of them are I've never known hard to explain (laughs) yeah I know right it it might be kind of shocking shock you might not remember how many people die every year but um but yeah and and that's really where it came from because we you know I mean of course we're super so we kind of have to bend the rules. I'm making air quotes as I say that uh, with how things happen legally. And then we, as we were breaking the season, we were like, well, let's let's dive into that a little bit, you know, because I mean, obviously we have, you know, Stilinski is the sheriff and he he has to deal with all, all of this. So what is it like for him dealing with these types of situations where it's just what do I write in a report where it's like, oh, a giant monster ate somebody and then someone hit it with their car and now i have to deal with it you know it's you know what do you do in this situation and it feels like and as we're going to see it seems like stalinsky's kind of reaching a breaking point you know where it's like i can't keep covering this up because like he says this is a child you know this is someone's daughter you know what what do we say to them how do we how you know how do we make this right and how do we how do we deal with these situations inside you know the confines of human law and um and I, I guess if I have to choose a side, I – well, I can never be against Melissa, so I, I'm kind of on, <laughs> on her side. But I mean – and and was the slap warranted? I think it was completely warranted. Uh, was it less worrying than we might have hoped for? I don't think so. I mean, you know, granted, just because it, it – you know, that, that slap could have been the culmination of many different things, mm. but I, I feel mm. like we got it 
I think it's as tough as it needs to be because it's, you know, like she says, our kids get up to things all the time that are beyond the law. And then Selinsky's like, but not above the law. And they're both yeah. true. And of course, the yeah. best drama always comes from a place when you can see both sides. Yeah. And everyone is saying the right thing. Yeah. But, you know, but it's like, how can I choose? And, um, and yeah, figuring out, you know, coming up with this, you know, this idea months and months and months ago was uh, just uh, a lot of fun. Because we, you know, just, I don't remember who it was, but someone was like, Melissa slaps Zelensky. And we were like, oh, okay, why? And we are like, oh, let's figure it out. Let's find out what. It was just one of those things that just kind of hung in the air, you know, of just, you know, because, you know, when we start the season, it's just everything's on the table. And how do we, you know, what do we want to see? And that was just an idea that popped up. And we are like, that's, we've never seen that before. And that would just suck a lot, you know, to watch and have to write and deal with. So let's, that means we should probably do it. And, <laughs> And um, and it just kind of hung there, and then we found the, and then it just fell naturally into a scene, and we're like, okay, you know, and and then of course it got thrown into the season trailer, and it just looks even worse, and and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean that's kind of a question that um, more general about writing an episode, like in how the writers' room works, because we've tried to puzzle through this a couple of times, but when you're kind of tasked with writing an episode like this, how much of the plot of what actually happens is your personal creation or how does it work especially in an episode where there's like quite a few turning points rather than you know kind of just a beginning middle end not too much affecting the rest of the the show Um, because obviously there's a whole you know a writer's room a team of people that are constantly working on the overarching story and so it's not like you've gone away and written a spec script in a bubble if you know what I mean like so how much of a plot comes from the head writer like how does someone get the head writer credit on an episode like what do they what are they responsible for doing well the head writer credit is is kind of misleading that term doesn't really exist um I mean Jeff is the head writer he's the showrunner of the show but um as far as authorship over the plot of every episode, uh, the the writers as a team break every single episode together. Mm. So when you're tasked with writing the episode, you're not going to be coming up with plot at all because we break very detailed outlines together. Mm. So I mean, by the time uh, I got, by the time I was given the outline to write, I mean the the, the plot was all there. Like I mean, I was so I mean because that's just for us the best way to do it so that the writer never gets lost you know we just don't have we don't have a lot of time for the writer to go off and write a draft and for us to get it back and be like oh my god this is what if we tried this instead and all this like no no we are under the gun all the time and it has to be when the writer gets the outline it's like this is the episode you're writing this is the plot here are some bits of dialogue you know go make the dialogue your own and put your own spin on the scenes but this is um but this is the plot but what's going to happen mm. and we never deviate really it's very rare that i mean we have in the past a couple of like once or twice deviated um from outline to script but i mean <clears throat> once that outline is done that's that is uh the story from a to z and it's time to to rock and roll as as the writer so um there's really no plot invention uh there was no plot invention on my part as the writer it was just taking the plot that we'd created and just putting my own spin on it it and uh and you know figure out what the scenes because we know what the scenes are it's just how you know what's really happening in the scene because usually in our outline we know the beginning of the scene and we know the end of this scene uh so we know how to get in and how to get out and then uh it's kind of all the stuff in the middle where we as writers get to 
have fun with it and mm-hmm. figure out, you know, because we know what the scene's about. We know it's going to happen and we know it needs to happen. And then it's just how do we get to make that ours and, and put our, our, our words into it. Cool. I guess um, one thing I was curious about in regards to that then um, from what you've said is what scene for you, I guess, um, changed or surprised you the most uh, coming from the spec to the actual script when you wrote it? Like what sort of came out that you were like, hey, I didn't know that was going to go there or, or something like that? Oh, boy. Uh, I honestly can't remember anything jumping out that uh, uh, surprised me. Uh, usually just because we're we're running so fast to catch up with what's going on and uh, or to catch up with what's going on, but we're just running so fast to stay ahead of the train um, that we really don't get surprised uh, when it comes to stuff like that, just because we've broken it so thoroughly by that point mm. that it's uh, we don't really have time to be surprised anymore. And usually if something does change, it's because we've gotten to the, the script stage and just as we're usually it's like we've, we've written an episode and we're breaking the next, next episode and we realize um something that we're doing in the newer episode changes something in a previous episode and we have to go back before it's shot and kind of clean up that scene or something like that because uh i mean that's just that's just the the process of writing is like you know you can't know everything when you start writing that would be the that would be amazing if we had a year to just write 20 episodes and not worry about when it was going to be shot or anything like that. Yeah, and then go back you know, that would be the most amazing look. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And everything could be completely perfect all of the time. Mm. And But sadly, no one in the world who's a TV writer has that luxury. That just huh. doesn't exist. And uh, so, you know, usually as you're moving forward, you're finding little things and having to change things incrementally. But um, again, by the time the writer gets the to write their draft, it's it's pretty much set in stone what it's going to be. It's it's very rare that we get any kind of real surprises. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, Karen, do you want to go on with the story? Yes. Um, and actually, I'm really excited that I got this section because I really liked this whole plot line. Actually, I think we all did. But with Kira, we see that she's walking down um, Highway 115 and she gets picked up by Clark, who's um, Hayden's sister. It's and no, it's not. It's a different it's a different female deputy. Oh, it is. Yeah. As far as I know, no, it's yeah. Clark. Pardon? No, 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 no. no it, it's is, Clark. it is Clark, yeah, it's Clark, but Clark's not Hayden's sister, is she? Yeah, yeah. That makes no sense to me, because her last name is Clark, and Hayden's last name is Romero. They do have different last names, and that will be revealed why later. Okay, so that is meant to be her sister, because I thought there were two female yes. deputies. All right, I have been, no. and I looked Alex this up, because I, I was, I was confused, but no, fair enough. All right, good, no problem. No. No, no, it, it is confusing. Uh, uh, there's a whole story behind that. I don't know if now is the best time to get into it. Okay. Uh, but uh, no, it, it, they are sisters, and why they have different last names will be revealed at a later time. Okay, okay. No, fair enough. Cool. I just, I had just uh, uh, looked that actress up, and I was trying to work out if it was the same one. Anyway, sorry, Karen, carry on. (laughs) No problem. Um, That's interesting, though. Cool. Something to keep our eyes out for. Um, Okay, so she kind of puts her in the back of the the car and tricks her into going in there, really. And 
this scene kind of made me mad because I was like, Clark, what are you doing? Like, clearly she is kind of not really knowing where she is, what's going on. And she just sort of tricks her into the back of the car. And I was like, she's terrified. Like, you could see on her face that she's terrified and she's confused. And yet, you know, she just throws in the back of the car. But to play devil's advocate, this is potentially a girl that just killed somebody. So I guess I can kind of understand where she was coming from here. Hmm. I don't know. It was, I was kind of like, is that legal? Don't you have to tell someone that you're arresting them or like taking them into custody? Like, uh, cause I liked how nice she was. And then she was obviously (laughs) already knew that there was a call out for Kira. So anyway, sorry, Will, what were you going to say about it? Oh, no, no. I would just say this was my favorite scene in the whole script to write. Uh, oh. Just because I love Kira, my absolute favorite character. and But it was just an interesting question of how does Clark get her in the car? Mm. You know, because we want it, you know, because clearly it was, you know, Kira doesn't understand what's happening. She's lost, you know, both, you know, physically and metaphorically, mm. sort of. And it's just how does Clark convince her to get in the car and it's and that's usually and that's how we approach every scene is like what's the tension of the scene and the tension is can clark get kira into the car you know and and so it was just all the different iterations on in the room of how she would do it and and then what i wrote and then and then uh when jeff put his spin on it and what ended up being in the final draft and all that so it was just it was just a lot of fun you know of just how do you convince someone to do something they might not want to do Hmm. you know or or something like that and of course the scene is very short but um but it was just uh it was just uh, a lot of fun for me and, and surprising like i wasn't expecting yeah, that to happen when absolutely cuffs slap on her wrist i was like wait what's going on yeah um, uh, yeah that's that was the other whole intention and when we were writing this scene it was just like at the very end it was like okay she does get her into the car and then it was like and then she handcuffs her to a bar like oh my god what and then it's like oh yeah no that's great that's what we should do and then and and yeah so yeah it did really startle me yeah um okay so two points here that i'm going to kind of um bring in like a gift set that we'll obviously link to but the first one is that styles hears about the murders uh while he's with theo and somebody twink wolf put together this um (laughs) really (laughs) yes Yes, Jesus really. Christ, this fandom. <laughs> All right, go with God, Twinkle. Um, 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 they they have this uh, gift set, and the first one is from season one when Styles is shoving his mouth full of curly fries, and you know it says like we got a report of a possible one eight seven, and he just goes a murder, and then the other one is from this season when it says suspect in one eight seven. Uh, is in custody and he goes homicide and this time you know his face is covered in blood which is terrifying and they say um this is the perfect picture of Stal Slinsky's character development. Season one, happily nibbling on curly fries, still feeling misplaced excitement over the prospect of a homicide in his town. Season five five exhausted feeling nothing nothing but icy dread in his heart over the newest murder in beacon hills ignoring the blood spatter in his mouth because he's so used to other people's blood being on his face and i'm just like wow way to crush my soul (laughs) yeah no i saw that gift set on the the tumblr and i just loved it it was because it was perfect it was just season one scott styles is 
is ready to get out there and to see what's going on. It's like, oh, my God, there was a murder. Let's go investigate. And now, mm-hmm. you know, five seasons later, it's just he's world weary and, you know, it's it's a murder. And then he hears, you know, Kira's name and it's just soul crushing, you know, um, it, 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 and that's wonderful because I, I have been seeing a lot, lot recently uh, just kind of dual gift sets of people in the first season or when they were introduced compared to where they are now. And it's just so much fun to see how the characters have changed. Mm. You say fun. I say. (laughs) Because I saw (laughs) one the other day of like, uh, it was a comparison between Liam and Hayden and Allison and Scott. And I was just like, wow, why would anybody do this to themselves? Why do you people make these things? Because it hurts so much. Lots of hurt, lots of feels. But I mean, that's just, uh, that's where the good drama comes from. That is of course, whenever I say something is going to be fun, it's usually going to be terrible just because for me it's fun to write and then it's terrible to watch just because it's Teen Wolf and terrible things happen to the characters we love. But of course, that's that's the best drama is seeing our characters put in places we would never want them to see. So, um, Yeah, that's true. Fun time. Yeah. So much fun. <laughs> um, okay, so we get a quick glimpse of Parrish washing off the soot, and he's called into work by Clark, and I'll get back to that in a minute, but I wanted to talk about Kira and her being brought into the station and her parents coming in and her dad saying that he did it. And at first I kind of laughed because I was like, really? Like, nobody's going to believe this ridiculous story. And that's even, Natalie, that was your quote. So it was sort of funny at first, and then – it kept going on and you could see how serious he was and how he knew it didn't make sense, but it didn't he matter. Kind of like, it, try me. Come on. You know, like, you know, Yeah, exactly. And I was like, wow. And then somebody put this up on Tumblr and it was um, big sky dreaming. And it says, Ken Yukimura, ordinary human man, no better prepared to face the supernatural than the sheriff, but who adjusted to it like a boss, who married a woman he knows will outlive him and fathered a daughter destined to do the same, all without begrudging them, envying them, or doing anything other than loving them as fiercely as he can for as long as he gets to, who gave up his own last name so his wife could preserve her identity, who understands that even immortal Kitsune women capable of killing him with their pinky still sometimes need him to protect them. Ken Yukimura who knows when to stand back and when to step up ordinary human man so extraordinary that a 900 year old trickster spirit decided this was the man she wanted to spend the next century with and bear a child together ken fucking yukimura (laughs) y'all and i just got goosebumps reading that because it is so good yeah i love him a lot a lot a lot a lot i really this this, this bit was my my favorite i think of just just both of them just being like, mm-hmm, no, and I just, I just loved it. So yeah, it was, it was absolutely wonderful because when we were breaking that scene, we were trying to figure out, how, you know, how the scene would play out, and and for a while, it was, uh, um, if I'm remembering correctly, it was, it was Noshiko who was putting herself on the line, and then at some point, we were just like, oh no, 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 it's Ken. Mm. can you know and it's all the stuff that you just said is what we were talking about in the room is that yes human being in a family full of supernatural creatures who will outlive him and and but he loves them both and he loves his daughter and will go to the ends of the earth to protect her if he can you know and 
So and it was just like, all right, you know, Ken Yukimura with the mic drop, you know, and, and all this. And, and that was just and that was so much fun because we had so much fun figuring out that scene and just because, you know, it is, you know, you have a character in a supernatural family and it's like, when do they get to shine? And then when the scene popped up up we were just like nope nope it has to be ken there's no way it can be anyone else just because you know again he would go to the ends of the earth for his daughter and and he loves his wife and he loves his family and it's just he will do whatever it takes to protect her and that was a lot of fun so, oh, it's so perfect. good times it was so it was so perfect. yeah it was now something <laughs> coming back from that is Scott and Kira discuss what happened. She kind of relates it to sleepwalking, uh, which is interesting. And I think that perhaps that's like the spirit taking over or something like that. But she asks him, you don't think it was me, do you? And he hesitates for a fraction of a second, but he hesitates. And he's like, no, and you kind of don't believe him. And now I don't think this makes Scott a bad person because it could have been Kira, but it could have been the fox spirit. Like, it doesn't mean Kira Kira is the... Yeah, yeah, it's not like Kira actually murdered somebody. It was the thing inside of her that caused her to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought it was interesting because, you know, Nat, you put in here, like, a rift because you wonder, you know, this thing is sort of driving them apart, but how far is it going to drive them apart? Well, out of town, apparently. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That far. Yes. City limits far. Yeah, that's how far. (laughs) Yes, that's how far it drives them apart. And then uh, the episode we are breaking right now is uh, the culmination. Not the culmination of the story, but Kira is the strong A story. Mm. uh, And it's what's Mm. going on with her and and, uh, a lot of good stuff coming. But I can say that, no, no, Kira and Scott are being driven apart and that's of course on purpose that wasn't an accident this whole season is taking scott to a place he's never been before mm. and you know which is the culmination of the episode you know which which ends in my in my uh quote of the week mm. which is something has changed and i think it's my fault and taking scott to a place that he's never been before and taking all the characters to places they've never been before and how that affects the pack and how that affects scott and and what does that mean mean for everybody Mm. you know and so yes we're driving you know you know we're driving scott and kira apart and you're right out of town you know and you know watching her leave in the rain and slow motion and things blowing up and all that which is fun uh but that's oh it's just tough it's but it's so much fun to write (laughs) but um i know i'm the worst i'm the worst uh did you specially request the kira drama or like were you like hey can i do the episode where we have the kira drama or did it just turn out like that oh it just turned out like that uh because uh kira leaving was just this kind of nebulous idea of you know because again we are we are everything comes back to scott and how you know everything is how does this affect scott and uh and then we were like well what's the worst thing that could happen it's like well what if kira left it's like that would that would suck a lot for scott Mm. you know and because you know it seems like we're whittling whittling him down and uh oh so much fun to write it's just Mm. terrible to watch because (laughs) kira's the best and she and scott together (laughs) is just the best and uh yeah it's hard writing stuff for characters you love when it's just gonna hurt them Mm-hmm. You know, but then at the same time, it's like this mm-hmm. is good drama. I can't shy away from this because it's just good drama. You know, and yeah, yeah, uh, good stuff, good times. Well, 
what I like about this too is like it's not just affecting Scott. It's affecting everybody else too because now Melissa and Sheriff are being driven apart too and we get the scene where she gives her sassy official statement and everything and you know Clark reveals that Theo and Styles were both at the school the night of the prank call and we know what goes on there like what happened but obviously the sheriff doesn't and he says no more bending the rules for anyone which includes styles and that's when melissa's like maybe you should learn to bend a little before somebody breaks and that just felt like super ominous to mm-hmm. me and now i'm more worried <laughs> gonna pull up styles up. in a murder trial and stuff and yeah because um, it's almost we've had this discussion a lot of times about the you know the police system and and the law and how you know do the people who live within the supernatural you know world like uh, the Argents or like um, Derek you know do they have their own idea of like the law like are they you know do they actually think that like you know puny human laws like apply to them or like you know you know how and then how do they like end up equating that with like you know do all these superhuman you know supernatural people not like have like IDs and stuff like that because you know if if you know Styles got pulled up in a trial about Donovan, um, you know how would you tell the truth about the trial without you know revealing the supernatural to the whole world? So again, I don't know how Stalinsky thinks this is gonna work. If you know what I mean, you know that how he's gonna not bend the rules. Like he's still gonna be lying by covering up the supernatural element unless he plans to reveal it to the whole. Uh, public, which I don't know if that's something that <laughs> would go so well, but yeah, it just seems a bit unlikely. Well, that's definitely, uh, you know, uh, just a struggle. You know, you're right. How does human law enforcement deal with the supernatural? You know, because if he, you know, was to bring someone up on real charges and someone was to go to court, I mean, it's like, how do you explain this? You know, it's like, oh, it wasn't me. It was the monster. You know, it's like, does he risk exposing the supernatural world, you know, and and, and stuff like that? And that's definitely, you know, uh, definitely things I thought about in the past, like especially thinking about Talia when she was, you know, head of the Hale family and and all of that, just because, you know, the supernatural creatures are a minority on Earth. You know, they're really, you know, compared to human beings. You know, so it's like it, it. I feel like a lot of her tasks dealt with that. You know, because you know when we saw her in uh, what 308 Visionary, um, that's what they were dealing with. Is like the hunters, you know, came at us and they killed someone and we killed someone in return, and that's the end of it. You, yeah. You know that that's kind of supposed to be an eye for an eye yeah, type but thing. But then what happens when you have to file the official death certificate? You know, with the court, yeah, exactly. this human being that was born into a normal system. You know, like. That kind of thing. Yeah. But. Right. Yeah, and so, I mean, and that's just what Stalinsky's dealing with now is, mm. like, because it's all this is boiling over for him is, like, because I think it's just, especially this season with, you know, who the chimeras have been so far, you know, it's it's children, you know, for lack of a better word, that he's been seeing, mm. you know, hurt, killed. And it's just, you know, that 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 adds up. You know, uh, you know, emotionally, you know, and eventually he, you know, like Melissa said, you know, someone might break and what's going to happen when that happens. Yeah. And I love that you guys decided to tackle this, actually, because I feel like not a whole lot of supernatural shows do that. I mean, like 
Supernatural, for example, has been on the air for like 10 years and you feel like, okay, they've had 10 seasons Mm -hmm. worth of episodes of all these supernatural things happening. You would think like the entire world would know about this already. And you kind of have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. And I get that. And it's not anything that ever bothered me. But the fact that you guys are tackling like the legal system and what the sheriff is supposed to be doing, because he's kind of split between wanting to do the right thing and wanting to protect those he loves and obviously not wanting to tell anyone about the supernatural world because it's going to make him sound crazy. But, you know, that's a really difficult plot to explore. And I'm just really glad that you guys decided to do that. I think fans have actually wanted to see that for a while. Mm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, bringing up Supernatural. Supernatural is, you know, very much a procedural show. And when it comes to procedurals, you know, there's kind of like an unofficial reset button at the end of every episode. (laughs) You know, where there's really not a lot of serialized story. You know, and, and I know Supernatural has serialized threads that kind of go through the seasons and the series as a whole, but they're not they're nowhere near as serialized as we are. And so when you're kind of in a new town every week dealing with the new vampire monster or whatever, and then you move on to the next town and it's the Loch Ness monster you have to battle, you know, it's like you can kind of get away with all of that. But when you're right. so serialized the way we are and every episode of the one that comes next and the one that came before it and all that there's no way you can just get away with that for forever and that's and that's definitely something we talked about at the beginning of the season it's like it's time for us you know it's time for us being Stalinsky to deal with this and how does he deal with it and what does that mean you know and that will definitely play through uh the rest of the season and um we'll just have to see the good drama that comes from that <laughs> yeah well, finishing up Kira's Lots plot of feels line. coming, by the way. Oh, oh thanks. Thanks. Good. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, finishing up Kira's plot line for this episode, um, she goes home and she's still struggling with reading the book. She can't get it finished. And her mom comes in and says, read it backwards. And I saw a lot of people were kind of confused by how this would work. Um, I actually found this really interesting, and it made sense to me because if you – read it backwards, you're kind of like taking the story in one chunk at a time and then not necessarily reading it, but you're reassembling it in your own head. So it's not like you're actually reading the words from the page in order because that's what's confusing the spirit. You're reading it in smaller chunks and then reassembling it, you know, kind of abstractly in your mind. And so for me, this made a lot of sense, but... I did see that some other people were kind of confused by it. Does that make more sense to you now, Natalie, or are you still well, struggling with it? To me, I was kind of like, is it just about kind of, you know, like meditatively looking at the pages and, and just flicking through it and then sort of having the imagery come up? Or, or like, I, I didn't quite quite follow, so... I don't know. Will, what was this situation with the reading the book backwards? Yeah, that came about because Kitsune's uh, are tricksters, and, and there's this uh, myth. Not, I don't, is it a myth? I'm not sure exactly what to call it, but uh, when a lot of people, uh, when a lot of Japanese people answer the phone, they say moshi moshi. Yeah. And uh, uh, and that's because there is the uh, because kitsune's are tricksters and they are not very good with language. So if you give them something that's uh, kind of a language problem, 
it trips them up, and that's how you'd know if you were talking to a kitsune. So <laughs> if someone, so if someone, you know, you, someone calls you and you answer moshi moshi, and there's kind of a, a like, uh, like kind of like a stutter on the other end, it's like, oh, it must be kitsune calling you, and you should just hang up the phone. And <laughs> um, and that a common problem, right? And um. so, and, right, and that was something we tried to to uh, season three B, but it just never, you know, it, it just didn't work out. And then uh, when we had the Dread Doctors because Valak used um, – he wrote it in such a way that uh, pattern recognition would be part of it and how it would kind of unlock things inside you because the book is basically one big word jumble, you know, um, and that's throwing Kira off That because it's it's kind of a language problem. It's kind of messing up the kitsune inside of her, and uh, um, and so when, when Nishika was like, we're going to read it back. It was very much what Karen said, where it's take it one piece at a time. You're not looking at it as a story anymore because, you know, if you're reading it straight through, it's like this is a story you're seeing. But when you read it backwards, it's just blocks of text that you can take in kind of one one little piece at a time. It's kind of like um, some uh, drawing teachers, like some uh, art mm-hmm. teachers will say, if you're, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're having trouble drawing something, turn it upside down. And, and then you, your brain doesn't see it, it as what, like yeah, an apple right. or a wine exactly. bottle or something. Just like do exactly. the shapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's not an app anymore. It's just lines because yeah. your brain is saying when it's turned upside down, your brain isn't rec- – I mean you know it's an apple, but your brain isn't looking at it and going, oh, that's an apple. It's just lines and shape. And then when you turn the picture right side up, oh, look, it's an apple, and you're able to draw it. Mm. You know, And it's basically like that. So reading it backwards, <clears throat> taking it one sentence and one paragraph at a time, she's just able to break the information down into more manageable chunks for her and the kitsune inside of her. But of course then that unlocks mysteries and uh, memories that she didn't realize she had. Right, which took place on 115, so now we know what the acupuncture needles were spelling out and everything, and we see the Dread Doctors put her on the hood of the car and inject her in the eye, which I know a lot of people were, like, terrified of, Um, and she's sort of, like, lightning strikes, and, like, there's this blinding light that comes out of her mouth or something and something crazy went on and I have a feeling that maybe this is it could have been a distraction perhaps to kind of give them something else to deal with while um they were fighting the dread doctors like Scott and everything and you know okay now we have to worry about Kira or perhaps it had something to do with unlocking her abilities so that they could get into Iken House I'm not really sure but definitely going to be curious once we do figure out what's going to happen and maybe that's going to be a little while we don't really know because you know she has to leave in order to fix her problems and you know she talks to Scott about doing that and he still can't like tell her what's going on with her like he kind of refuses to say yes you look like a giant fiery fox demon now and it's terrifying um so they kind of they leave and <laughs> Natalie wrote in here another flash forward on our bingo sheet so yes that is correct yeah I found that really weird that he like both yeah that... both originally when he wouldn't when w- the big thing that I've had all season with Scott and Kira is why wouldn't when she originally asked him she knew there was a problem with her going on she's like hey look at me with your eyes tell me what you see I know there's a problem and he still wouldn't tell her. And then even this time, you know, that they were clearly both knew there was a problem and he still couldn't vocalise it. But why 
wouldn't he tell her? Like, when it, back when she originally asked, when she clearly knew there was a problem, why wouldn't he admit it to her? For me, it's it's this a lot. Of, a big part of this season is the things we don't say when we should, you know. And the first time Kira asked him to look at her to see what her spirit was up to, and he saw the spirit, and the spirit pointed out her sword, and uh, he didn't say anything. For me, it's because. We all go through things like that. You know, I mean, that's just a universal thing is that, you know, there are things we should tell people that we don't. And in Scott's case, in that moment, the reason he didn't say anything was because he was scared of what would happen. You know, he was scared of the repercussions of what could come from it, you know. And it was that fear that held him back, you know, that he said everything was okay because it's kind of like if I say everything's okay, maybe everything will be okay. You know, so it is a form of, you know, just kind of self-denial. Mm. But also it's if I say her spirit is bigger than I've ever seen it before and, and it's pointing to things, it's communicating with me, um, you know, what does that mean? And, and it, it's probably really bad and I'm going to lose Kira, you know. And, and so I, mm. I feel like, it, you know, that's just a human thing. And, and taking Scott to that point is great because, of course, we now have the culmination of that scene where he looks at her again and the fox is even bigger and even more fiery. And then, oh, my God, I have to say that shot just broke my heart mm. because, you know, you see Kira through the spirit and she is just so sad that she knows he is seeing something terrible. And, oh, uh, just broke my heart. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, I mean, of course, he at that moment he should have been like, oh, my God, babe, there's this. Oh, my God, the spirit, it's 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 you know, pointing to things, you know, of course he should have done that, but then who knows what could have happened after that. She might've left or it could have just been, you know, more, more immense danger you know, coming immediately. So it's just, for me, it, it was Scott's fear of the unknown and Scott's not wanting to lose her that kept him from saying anything. But of course, you know, we are taking Scott to places he would never go before. I feel like in a previous season, had that happened, he'd be like, holy shit, we need to, oh, pardon my friend. No, uh, you know, he, he, like, he would be like, oh, my God, we need to, you know, we need to deal with this. We need to go find Deaton and he'll know what's up or let's go talk to, to, to you know, Noshiko. She'll know, yeah. you know, but now it's yeah. just because everything is falling apart, you know, that he's like, if I say what's happening, I could lose her, too. And then, of course, that's what does end up happening. And it's yeah. terrible yeah. and sad, but good yeah. drama. It's been, yeah, it's just been bothering me all season. Yeah. I mean, I know it's part of his whole thing, but it's just, I'm just like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? But anyway, moving on from that, um, they decide, the police decide uh, that they're going to guard the hell out of this body because apparently they know at this point that people are taking the bodies. So they're going to guard it and they're going to try and catch who's taking the bodies. Uh, unfortunately, they give Parrish the very important job of guarding the morgue door, which is just like... I laughed through this entire scene. Oh I was dying. God. It was so funny because he's so serious about it. And I was like, dude, this is not going to work out the way you're hoping it will. I don't know if I laughed through the scene, but yeah, so that was a bit of a rookie mistake anyway. Um but before we get to sort of the outcome of that, Styles comes to the hospital to tell his dad to just leave it alone, to let the person, whoever wants to take the body, take the body, because he knows the risk, he knows how powerful the body snatcher is because he's just experienced it the night before or however long that, that previous episode was. Um, and him and his dad sort of start bickering about the, um, you know, the choices that Stalinsky is making about his work. And he kind of something sort of triggers Stalinsky's memory, like someone's uh someone's hospital pass. 
to ask Styles about the key cards um, that um, Clark mentioned earlier, and Styles flat out lies to his face, like you know, just saying, "Oh yeah, like we we do have that. I'd let you see mine, but I lost it a couple of weeks ago." Uh, a couple of questions about this for you, Karen. Number one, uh, you know, do you think that Styles had pre-prepared this lie, or do you think that this was in the moment, like, oh shit, key cards, and automatically just lied that fast? I kind of think he automatically lied that fast. I think he's getting really good lying to his father, like he said previously. And the fact that it came off so seamlessly without any hesitation really kind of worries me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and do you think Sheriff believed him or do you think he was like, mm, about it? Uh, that's really hard to answer. I kind of want to say that I think the sheriff believed him just because it did come off without any hesitation. And like, it was a really like the lie made sense. But at the same time, I think the sheriff is kind of reevaluating everything and everyone around him. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, all right, I believe you now, but like, I'm going to still check into this. So I don't know. we'll see I, what happens. I kind of think he didn't, or I kind of felt like he didn't, because I feel like the, like he, the fact that he even asked, the fact that he was like, hey, key cards, hey, my son, hey, was my son there? Like, the fact... He asked because he was suspicious, if you know what I mean. It wasn't It wasn't just a like, hey, tell me stuff about your school. It felt suspicious to me, but I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm reading it wrong. And then st- we see Styles, you know, a few moments later, kind of fiddling with his um, key card with his name on it and his first initial, which is like people are making an incredibly big deal out of <laughs> At this point, I'm so tired of, like, caring about what Styles' name is that it's not even funny, but I don't know if it's going to be relevant, but there we go. There it is. Um, and I'll, I'll bug Will about that in one second. Uh, but, yeah, he kind of plays with the card and then tosses it out, like, oh, shit, you know, we've got to, you know, get rid of that. So, yeah, I don't know, just... I, I feel like that, you know, this is st- more and more of Styles just being, you know, going off last week's episode where he kind of admitted that he didn't really care about what he'd done. He just sort of cared about the consequences of it, which I, I kind of love that aspect of the character. But, um, but yeah, Will, what's your opinion about that kind of dynamic between the sheriff and, and Styles at the moment? I mean, what, what, was the, what was the aim there to imply, I guess? Well, I definitely think the uh, we're trying to definitely trying to get across, and I hope successfully that the dynamic between Styles and and his dad is just becoming more strained. Where mm-hmm. in the past, you know, Styles injecting himself into things, you, you know, was you know was hard for Stalinsky, but it was never this hard. You know, like things are just mm-hmm. everything in everything in everyone's lives is just kind of coming to a boiling point. You know, and that you know, and that includes between Styles and Stalinsky. You know, and and there's just a, a lot going on that Selinsky doesn't know about. And, and you know, of course, Styles is just trying to figure things out and to make things right. And but it's just again, it's it's it was cute for a while and then it was kind of frustrating. And now it's just becoming a problem, you know, and and that's where, you know, where we're trying to take, uh, I think, Styles and Selinsky just because it just feels like such a natural progression of um, everything yeah. that's happening this season. And, you know, it's. It sucks, you know, just because, you know, it's always fun having Styles and Selinsky. They have this they have such a wonderful relationship and and uh, it could get bad. Who knows? 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like finding out that Styles was, you know, around that death, like whether it's a murder or whatever you want to call it, that he was there for it, you know, and finding out his kind of feelings on the matter, I suppose, probably would be a hard thing for, you know, a parent to to deal with, you know, especially that he didn't come to him. Like, I wonder if Sheriff would have, you know, bent the rules in that circumstance or, you know, whether, whether he would have, you know, how he would have dealt with it, basically. Um, but other question is, do you know Styles's name? You don't have to tell us. Uh, but do you, uh, do you guys know what it is? Or is this important for some reason? Or is it just there's the key card and we needed to see that it was the key card? Uh, I do not know what his name is, uh, sadly. And Jeff lords it over us every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, a weirdo. That sounds like him. No, no, no. Because we were we were breaking the scene. We were like, you know, we, we knew from the start of the season as we were breaking kind of the trajectory. We were like, you know, key cards are going to you know, the key cards are going to be important, and and you know, just because of access to to certain places and how yeah. maybe that can become evidence. And and we were like, okay, well, on the key card, it can't just say Stalinsky. And he was like, maybe it'll just say Stalinsky, or maybe his thumb will cover the first initial, um, or you know. And then he was like. And then I at one point he was like, hey, hey, do y'all want to know what the name is? And we were like, yeah. And he goes, okay, I'll tell you. No, no, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. <laughs> and, uh, and they were like, damn it, Jeff. And then he was like, okay, fine. And he just wrote, he goes, okay, the first initial is M. And um, we were like, and what are the remaining letters in that? And he was like, oh, I can't tell you. And, uh, and he was like, it's very Polish, lots of consonants. And I was like, uh, uh, what? fine, fine, fine. You know, so... One piece at a time. Hopefully, why who knows? Maybe by so whenever. I don't. I don't understand why it's such a big deal at this point. I think it's just because it's been I, a big deal for so long. But yeah. Yes, I, I. I think it's just because it's been such a big deal for so long that it's just you know just keep it going and and you know just because it, I mean it's one of the things like you know once everyone knows what the name is it won't be as interesting anymore. You know I mean you know so it's just one of those things that just lasted for so long that it's just you know. Let's just keep this keep this little fun mystery going and and uh, true, just true. See, see what happens with it. But um, I but hell, feel but, like you know. people are really hung up about it. Like I think there was like an MTV article discussing it today, like how they do their reaction articles to the episodes. There was a whole reaction article about the name, and I'm like, yeah. you know oh. what, Styles. What his Christian name is is like the least interesting thing about this character, especially right <laughs> now. Like, like I'm not saying that it isn't the thing that like people get excited about because it is, but I'm like, do you know how much more this character has going on besides from like not knowing what his Christian name is? Because there's a lot, and people are so hung up on this, and it's just like, I don't know. I I care, but I'm also like amazed that it's a thing that we care about so much. I suppose, Karen, were you excited? Yeah. Um, I kind of didn't notice at first. I honestly <laughs> thought it said Mr. Stalinsky, and I was like, that's kind of weird, but like, whatever. It is what it is. And then later on Tumblr, I saw the M. Stalinsky thing, and I was like, oh, that was the thing I was supposed to pick up on. Great. <laughs> anyway, never mind. Uh, more importantly than that. I actually, uh, oh, sorry, I had this, head, uh, I was just saying that I had this headcanon that who knows. Who knows how this show is going to end, but if there were ever a graduation scene, I would love, you know, where everyone's kind of walking across the stage and they get the Stalinsky and the principal or whoever is like, 
is you know it's like you know maquette mccook style stolinsky everybody <laughs> yeah. you, know, and, and, yeah. you know and you know i don't know that, that, that might be just too much but uh, no, I think uh might. yeah maybe we'll see it for the first time on his grave when he ends up getting killed oh, I have oh the that's same terrible thought. but it's possible anything you know. <laughs> uh, we, i think we might have discussed this before actually <laughs> oh, that's Terrible. <laughs> yeah, we have good times here. Anyway, um, oh moving on from oh that. Oh my god, we, I said we would break the internet if that happened. Yeah, <laughs> oh my yeah. god. Well, you heard it here first, guys. But you know, we'll see. Uh, probably not. Um, but anyway, moving on from that. Um, the morgue uh, parish, you know, basically does his thing and uh, becomes fiery parish. Attacks a lot of cops. Uh, he's kind of in a weird trance and tells the sheriff to leave and, you know, sheriff gives him a bit of suspicious look uh, and the Stalinsky uh, father and son discover that the body is missing. Uh, we don't, you know, don't see a massive result of, um, you know, Parrish carrying it out, but we see, you know, him, you know, attack quite a few people, uh, send off the fire alarms and cause a big diversion. Um, and then at the end of it, um, you know, they find Parrish's burnt badge and Styles tells Lydia uh, that so they know it's it's Parrish now, basically, so I guess they must have, have, have seen him, you know, or worked it out. And Lydia remembers his nematon dream and says, I think I know where he's taking him. And the thing about this that surprised me is that Lydia didn't suspect him before now because she knew about the nematon dream and about him carrying bodies already, but I guess it isn't necessarily something that you'd you'd put together. But Karen, had you noticed that at all? Noticed which part? Well, had, uh, I can't remember if we talked about it or not, that Lydia should have or could have noticed before now. Oh, um, well, I mean, to be fair, I think she's been kind of distracted mm. uh, by everything that's going on. But, I mean, I don't think having dreams about that necessarily equates to being the person that stole the bodies. Mm. Maybe once... Well, no. I was going to say, maybe once they found out that the person who was stealing the bodies had some sort of control over fire, but I don't think either Theo or Styles knew that. They knew, like, they didn't know where the fire came from. That was yeah. specifically said. Yeah. So maybe if they had had that connection, Lydia could have figured it out sooner, but I don't think it's, like, weird that she didn't. Mm. Anyway, they know it's him now, so... And they, you know, know it's probably not him of his own volition, so hopefully they'll deal with that soon. Yeah. Well, another huge part of the episode was um, the search party for Liam and Hayden. And we see Scott and Leah trying to track them down, and they fail. So Scott goes home, and he just barrels through the house. And he sticks his claws into Corey's neck to get his memories from them, um, from him. And this is something that we haven't really seen from Scott before, this sort of like ruthlessness. It was very non-consensual and it was very desperate. It seemed very desperate to me. And... You know, I wanted to know, Will, like, what was it like to write that? Because Scott is a character who is so, so, so good. I mean, he's been so good from the very beginning. We're finally starting to see what he's like when he gets desperate and he's kind of losing his hope in the situation. And what sort of things did you talk 
to Posey about to kind of make this scene come off the way that it did? Well, definitely, uh, you know, as we've been building this season, it's pushing Scott further and further and and tearing tearing him down piece by piece, you know, and eventually because he's always cool, calm and collected. You know, and and what he did to Corey is something he never would have done in the past. But like you said, we're seeing Scott in a very desperate place. You know, I, I think it was in the previous episode, uh, you know, where someone said uh, we're losing and we don't even know what the game is, you know, and that's that is what's happening. You know, there's there's so much going on. And Scott is for once. I mean, he's always out of control. When it comes to the story, because, you know, there are forces, you know, aligning against him and all of that. But this is the first time that it's really starting to take its toll on him and that they're they're losing. And he is tired of people dying and he's tired of not being able to to help, you know, you know, to always be one step behind and and all that. And he it's just this complete desperation on his part that drove him to do it. To drove him, uh, that drove him to do something he would never, ever, you know, even consider doing, and and it was tough writing the scene, you know, and and breaking the scene was tough just because it's like, you know, how far can we take Scott before he becomes unlikable, or you know, what's what's the real truth of this moment, you know, like where how do we find that, and and a lot of that, you know, we you know we talked to Posey about that, and he was, you know, he he you know, he loved loved playing all of this because it's again we are showing you know posey the actor and the audience and us as the writers we're showing a side of scott we've ne- never imagined possible just because we've never seen him this low and this desperate so it, it was tough to write and it was tough to to figure out you know that this is something we were going to do but at the same time i mean this all comes back to scott's character and it all comes back to the journey he's on this season and just how hard it has been for him and how hard it will continue being for him and um it's it's just really just getting you know the heart of the matter being just how desperate he is to not lose anyone else and the links he'll go to to save lives yeah and i love the the consequences of this action too in terms of lydia being so disapproving of what he's doing i think that you know she's really the only one that says something to him about it And you can tell that she's just not cool with it. And I don't think Scott is necessarily cool with it either. But he kind of was like, this is just the line that I have to cross in order to get Liam back. And this is what I have to do. And while he felt uncomfortable doing it, you know, he kind of knew this is what had to be done. Whereas Lydia, I think, would have liked to have taken another route. But he didn't really give her that chance. And then on the flip side of that, you see Theo, who's so curious about the entire thing, and you can just see him plotting and scheming. And I was like, what are you up to? Mm. Well, I was curious that, you know, Lydia said, you know, it's usually only alphas do. And I was like, but Scott is an alpha. Like, is she trying to warn Theo off from trying it? Or, like, what was that situation? I was just going to say, it kind of does sound like she was warning Theo from that because obviously they know that Scott is an alpha, so yeah. he can do something like that. I mean, he didn't have a whole lot of practice, but um, yeah, maybe she's just like, don't try this at home, kids. Yeah. <laughs> PSA. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And and that shot of uh, that shot of uh, Theo seeing this for the first time. I mean, you just see that shot, and you're like. 
like, uh, that's probably not good, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, just because, I mean, Cody is so good at playing bad. He's such a nice guy. He's such a, a good, fun person to be around. But then, you know, when the director calls action, he just, he turns into Theo and, um, and he, he uh, ugh, I hope he's not taking anything away from this, but you know, it, it's just, oh, not good things. Not good things. <laughs> But then also, I think I think part of what that that shot you see of Theo is he is like because he he has a front row seat to Scott breaking, you know, and he's just kind of like you know I wish I had some popcorn to watch this, no. yeah, no. and stuff like that, you know, and so ah, oh, good stuff, good good terrible stuff. Yeah, and speaking of Theo, you know, we we see Scott figure out where. Hayden and Liam are and they, you know, sort of goes off and like Scott's going to go, Malia's going to go, Mason's going to go. Lydia's like, no, thanks. And they kind of want Theo to go with them because they could use the manpower and everything. But Theo wants to stay behind. And I'm like, okay, this is obviously a very calculated move. And I knew right from the very beginning that this was going to have some sort of consequence. I did not know what he was necessarily going to do with it. But, um, and I wonder if maybe he had other plans or he was open to what was going on, but I think it's really interesting that he was like, nah, I'm going to stay here. You guys go ahead. Yeah. I I didn't quite sort of parse why exactly he didn't want to go. Like obviously, except for to orchestrate what ended up happening. I I wasn't really sure why he, he didn't want to go except for that. Maybe, you know, if the dread doctors saw him and then he was with them and he might get revealed i don't know i i was a bit confused by it but i I did wonder if he kind of had everything set up uh, for later or if he just knew that he could get more out of Corey than scott could like that he's setting himself up for like the position that he kind of gets later which we will talk about when we when we get there in a a minute yeah right with theo i mean he's one step ahead or in some cases many steps ahead you know and for me that moment was just um because he he kind of has an idea how things are going to play out Mm. out you know or how they should play out and but then i feel like you know scott you know clawing Corey was just such an interesting new moment for him that he i think that moment where he's like i'm gonna stay was just him shifting gears a bit and just reposition himself to see because he's like this is information i need to deal with Yeah, because if we're looking at it the perspective of, like, say he always knew where Hayden and Liam were. Like, say he knew where they were the whole time because of what he knows about the Dread Doctors. That means he has to orchestrate a way to get the correct information about where they are, rather than just being like, oh, I found them. How did I find them? I found them. You know, like, he has to get the information. Of course. Uh, So it looks like that he found them from information that he had, and, and and the, you know... He knew that the answer, the first answer Scott got was was wrong, I guess. And then, you know, he had to basically get the information from Corey and pretend like he didn't know it already if, if he didn't know it already. So, yeah, I don't know. This is just right. No, 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 no. That's that's it. It's it's yeah. it's Theo positioning himself to look amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, while yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, you know, and and so that's. That's, of course, I mean, once you've watched the episode, you're like, that's what this was, yeah. was how do I, how do yeah, I look like a hero? hero of the hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, yeah. 
And as much as I hate Theo, he is so good at adapting. You know, he is a good bad guy. He's very intelligent. And that just makes it so frustrating because you want the heroes to win, obviously. Right, exactly. He's uh, he's definitely one of my favorite bad guys so far just because he's able to just see what's happening and because he's orchestrating things so well, he can just position himself in such a way to look amazing or to not be noticed. And, and it's, it's again, whenever Theo is doing something, you it's just how is this going to be terrible for Scott and the pack? You know, because, it, it, you know, because clearly he has an agenda, you know, and know it's, it's sad. I'm still going back and forth about what it is, but yeah. Well, he has an agenda. That's all I, I can say. <laughs> he has a goal. And he is very smart, and he knows how to get what he wants. And he's just got a long game running, and we're just sadly going to have to sit through more episodes to see <laughs> what the culmination of it is. And um, and just Fun. what that means for Scott in the pack. you know. So yeah, yeah, good times. Good times to come. Mm. Yeah. Well, the last thing I want to say about this scene, you know, other than we see Theo figure out where, you know, he already knew, but figure out where uh, Hayden and Liam were and he kind of goes after them. It's where the Rave Wolf came through the wall and all of that. And we get Mason, Malia and Scott still being unable to find Liam. They kind of leave you know scott is still having trouble he needs his inhaler and everything he blames himself for everything and they leave and they don't notice the ouroboros but the other thing i want to mention is this other gift set that we found and it is this um it's like malia styles and lydia and in the first one it's from um season four when Malia's like i would never leave without you and there's a shot of lydia who's like not rolling her eyes, but kind of looking away in, in something. And then you see from this episode, Styles saying to Malia, text me for anything, anything at all, okay? And Lydia kind of has this look on her face again. And obviously, it's like a Stydia thing. And I hadn't picked up on it before. Don't know if it's intentional. Probably can't say anything about it if it was intentional. But I like this idea that perhaps, you know, Lydia is sort of secretly developing feelings for Styles, and she's not going to say anything to him because she knows how he feels about Malia and she's not going to step in, but it doesn't mean she has to be happy about it. And I just thought it was a nice little parallel. Did you notice that at all, Natalie? I didn't. I only saw it in the GIFs, but it did, it kind of did bring up the question. When I rewatched the episode, I kind of was looking out for it, and I'm not sure if it was in reaction to what Styles said specifically, or if it was kind of her just her reaction to just the situation of wow, you you're a bunch of idiots. This is not going to go super well. <laughs> um, but I actually was thinking about it and was thinking about asking Will not about the the studio aspect or, or anything like that, but about when a, a script like you know when you write a script like this, like how much uh, I guess. I want to say stage direction. You don't call it stage directing in screenwriting, but like how much do you write down so-and-so should have this expression on their face at this time? If you like, like, you know, how much direction is written in the script in terms of uh, non-verbal acting and stuff like that? Well, we definitely, you know, when the actor or anyone reads the script, he needs to be able to understand what's going on in the scene and definitely understand kind of the headspace of each of the characters. Mm-hmm. But we don't write it so detailed 
field that that means that there isn't room for improvisation or discovery on the day. Mm. Um, I mean, again, we shoot so quickly that, you know, we don't have time, you know, we don't spend a whole day on each scene. You know, we just don't have time to, to do that. But uh, the scenes are written in such a way that, uh, you know, we know what the story beats are, but there is still room for interpretation, mm. you know, so that the director mm. and the actors and the writer on set can uh, kind of tweak the scene as they're going. And really, as they're filming, you're making kind of like the second to last pass of the scene because the last mm-hmm. pass come in editing, you know. But uh, you're, there's still a little bit of room for um, interpretation and tweaking lines and figuring out exactly what everyone's headspace is. But um, there is always enough on the page for you to understand what's going on, just for mm-hmm. clarity's sake. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, I'm just going to rush through the um, Liam and Hayden's sort of experience because it was more just little shots of what was happening to them while they were waiting to get rescued. Um, in that, like, Liam was, like, bolted down through his arm. I don't even know what was going on with that. Like, I couldn't – there was too much black blood. I couldn't work out exactly what was happening. <laughs> uh, and then after they sort of operated on Hayden, she was tossed aside with a wound and, and her and uh, Liam uh, sort of left on the floor. He tries to take her pain and then they get um, put in the reject basement, basically. They knock, they knock them out and they get put in the reject cave, the reject basement, uh, where they meet Zach who had wings and he was a very, he had a very kind of, <laughs> what? I freaked out at the wings. Everything else that we've oh, seen so far cool. in this entire season, you know, needles in the eyeballs, totally fine with the wings. I like screamed. Like, I don't know why, but it creeped me out. <laughs> Aww, I, I thought it was sad. Wings being cut off is That's super awesome. sad. Um, and I can't work out whether that kid is, like, meant to be this, like, you know, demented but, you know, very innocent presence or whether he was, like, a, you know, menacing presence because I found, like, a really weird kind of spacey innocence about him but it also could have been, like, I'm totally evil. So, um, you know, he sort of served to explain, like, what's happened. Like, he's seen people come and go from the room, like, failures and stuff like that and then he ends up getting dragged off he gives them a bit of information about their situation and then gets dragged off himself um i kind of liked him but was he there sort of just for exposition in like telling them what was going on or is he is there something more to that well he's just uh you're asking like is he crazy or evil for me i just saw him as just being an unfortunate victim Mm. you know and and i love uh karen that uh the fluttering of the wings freaks you out (laughs) Uh, because that's definitely what we wanted. Um, that was that came up in the room where we, we were going to see, he turns around and we see that he just has stumps of wings. They were removed. And then someone was just like, they should flutter. And we were oh, all like, yeah. Oh, you guys Immediately suck. wrote it in and like, but yeah, that's what should happen. It was sad, but it was really kind of gross too. That's a sad and gross. Yeah, true. Teen Wolf in a nutshell. So, right, exactly. But uh, you're thinking about the information he gives. I mean, that's just important information in yeah. that all, all of our the pack has just been operating kind of at a deficit where they don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And we were like, now we want to give them some information that will be important, you know, so then hopefully, you know, because with this information, maybe they can get a win out of it, you know, because the more information our pack has, you know, the better they are, the better they will be at trying to stop the dread doctors so hopefully this information will be helpful to them at some point mm. yeah 
True. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're kind of being like, oh, they called us failures. Doesn't it make you wonder what success is going to look like? You know, big question. What are the Dread Doctors aiming for? Like, what are they trying to create um, if the kind of the monsters are failures, I guess? Like, you know, all of the ones that have failed, I'm, tr- I'm trying to work out whether they're ones that are just you know, where the, the situation hasn't taken. Like, you know, if it's like, oh, the transplant thing didn't work and the person is dying, or if it is just that they didn't work the way they wanted they wanted them to. And, you know, since everyone they've created so far is like a crazy monster, pretty much, um, then what do they want? Are they trying to aim for something better or something worse, like something more dangerous, or are they trying to make something, quote-unquote, nice and it keeps messing up? <laughs> They look like people who want something really nice, don't they? Yeah, definitely. No, not at all. Not at all. Success for the Dread Doctors probably isn't going to be great for anybody. (laughs) Because they're just making monsters, and if if, if we're seeing the failures, oh boy, who knows how bad the success could be. Mm. Yeah, that's basically what I was going to say, too. You know, what, what constitutes as a success for them? Have we seen a success? Because... Obviously, there are theories about Malia and Theo as well and what that means. And, you know, do we know the full extent of their abilities if they are successes? So, yeah, it's, you know, whatever success is, I don't think it's going to be good for, like, anybody except for maybe the Dread Doctors. Good times. Um, so the last part of the episode is we basically get the results of everything. Theo ends up finding Liam and Hayden. He electrocutes himself on the fence and then rips it down in order to get to them. And I'm just like, wow, you have such devotion to this lie that you are keeping up, that you are willing to electrocute yourself in order to get to these people that you know full well that your bosses basically kidnapped. So... Theo is nothing but thorough, I would say. Yes, he is incredibly thorough, and again, he is just—he is just ahead of everybody. And it's how you know every move he, he makes is how will this make me look even more awesome in the eyes of everybody, <laughs> and makes that look not great at all. And no, no, you're right. You know, it's it's what are the links we're willing to go to to get what we want? Mm. And Theo knows what he wants. And he will, it seems, go to the ends of the earth to get it. Yeah. Well, he drives the kids home and they sort of make out in the back of the car, which I actually thought was really (laughs) adorable. And Liam ends up taking Hayden's pain through kissing, which I thought was also really adorable. Um, I really like those two. So much adorable. Yeah. It was awesome. But, you know, then they go home and Scott returns and everything and Theo is there and he's greeted as this hero, which I just hated. But (laughs) Natalie, you have a very important part to talk about that I actually did not pick up on. Well, it's just this just this moment where it just it just messed with me. Because there's this moment where basically, you know, Scott comes back and Scott's kind of holding his hand down low for the, like, the low dude handshake and Theo's, like, clings to him like, oh, I came back. I'm so, like, he kind of clings to Scott like he's grateful for Scott, like he hugs him. And I know it was probably some, like, gross manipulative thing. Like, he then hugs everyone else, like, you know, Mason and, and um, Malia and stuff. But I don't know. I just had a lot of feelings about it. Like, it was so good. Like, he was manipulating me. I was like... What does he want? Like, like, why is he doing this? Like, is this 
you know, is any of this real? Like, you know, is, you know, it, it, does he have emotions inside him that are trying to get out? You know, like, which is all of this nonsense, which probably isn't true at all. Uh, but just the, yeah, just the fact that he was, he was kind of elevating the, the emotional investment. Uh, like he was so relieved to see Scott or like, you know, um, you know, that he was kind of acting quote unquote humble about it by, you know, he, he wasn't being like, yes, look at me. Um, he wasn't being like, yes, I've done well. He was kind of like, I was so scared. I need a hug or whatever it was. I don't know. I just, it just messed with me. Like I, if, if that, I was almost weepy about it because if that was any other circumstance where it wasn't an evil sociopath, like where if it was just two people and someone went in for a handshake and the other one went in for a hug and then they were, and it was that desperate, I would be like sobbing. Like if that was between two characters who were actually legit and one wasn't Theo, if you know what I mean. So I had a lot of feelings about pulling that move basically. So thanks a lot for that, Will. (laughs) I actually had a lot more feelings about Malia and Theo hugging because, you know, he, he was sort of manipulating her a few episodes ago and being like, I'm not going to tell Scott. And, you know, there are a lot of things I want to do and I want to be a part of this pack and all this stuff. And then for the fact that she hugged him, she was willing to hug him, like made me worried that maybe, you know, she's trusting him a bit more and all of that. And just, I feel like it was a big moment of like, you know, I'm here, I'm here for all of you. All I care about is you guys and, and stuff like that, basically. Like that's kind of how I feel about what he's doing, that he's really trying to push how much, um, uh, you know how he's just a little. All he wants is to just be a little, a little piece of the pack, and 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 he really loves them all and stuff like that. Ugh. Oh yeah, Theo is nothing if not a master manipulator, and um, every he everything he's done is thought out to have you know uh, as much Emotional personal effect, effect as possible. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And as far as like what you said um having feelings about you know scott goes for the handshake and theo goes for the hug it's just no no when i saw that too i was just like i don't this isn't good this can't be good you know but for me it was just like for my head cannon it was just you know he's hugging scott and he's saying I've, it's, he's almost saying i've got you you know like it's okay i've got you but yeah. then the other half of me was saying i've got you you oh. know and, oh. uh, so i just much, got goosebumps so when he said on. that oh <laughs> No, that's just the way I imagined it in my head because of the way he plays it, you know, yeah. and it's just, oh, uh, it's just everything has double meanings, you know, when he does anything that means two things and then just hugging Scott is just, oh, uh, oh, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of so much, this is so much, probably, so much going on. And this is probably really wrong, but I've mentioned this on a couple of, of the past episodes is that I have these, I don't know what he wants with Scott. I don't know if he secretly really hates Scott or if it's like one of those characters where the character is totally evil, but they're really obsessed with the person in a good way. Like how Jennifer Blake was really in love with Derek, I guess. I'm like, is this guy really in love with Scott like and evil or is he like fucking over Scott as well? And that's been my big thing uh, about what he wants with Scott, basically. Um, but I did get curious, you know, you know, if you know scott seeing how theo handled the situation if he's like oh maybe theo should lead my pack but then you know if if people are thinking oh maybe theo's the better leader look at how competent and great he is and i'm falling apart and then karen put the opposite like and asked if he seemed suspicious of theo which i didn't pick up on at all so what was that karen it was 
it was just the look on Scott's face. I don't know if it was like shell shock coming home to like Liam being there and everything's fine. And like, you know, Theo's the hero or if it was like, it felt too convenient that Theo was able to get to Liam. I mean, Scott's been team Theo from the beginning, you know, he's always really wanted to give him a chance. It was styles who was the one that didn't, trust him from the get-go mm. and so i i don't know but this this idea of him you know wondering if theo will be a better leader or maybe wondering if the team will elect him the next leader or something really has me worried because you know that thought is just going to drive scott further and further away from everybody else and that is obviously a theme of this season so far yeah, fun times, good, excellent, excellent news. Um, and then obviously it's sort of the last talking point. I mean, it ends with the Deaton thing that we've already talked about, but the last talking point is Scott, you know, with his sad dog leash, uh, you know, living his depression life on the floor. <laughs> Which is something we haven't so really sad. seen from Scott before. Like, I mean, this is him at his lowest, and it's really hard to watch. Mm. It's hard to write, too. It, this isn't fun, you know. I mean, we don't, we don't, sure, we don't sure. revel in. Oh, okay, okay, all right. It's a little fun, but uh, <laughs> no, no. I mean, we don't, we don't. No, we honestly, we don't revel in taking Scott to these places. But it's just, it all comes from character, you know. Where it's like he's dealt with so much over these last five, five seasons that this is a new thing, you know. And it, we can't, we can't rest on our laurels and do the same thing every season. We have to find new places to push the characters and and i mean that can't always be a good thing you know i mean they have to grow and learn and 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 for someone to grow and learn from something you've got to you know you know you know if you're going to build a character back up you have to break them down first you know so i'm just curious why he it's it's not fun but uh, it's drama I'm just sort of curious as to why he thinks that, except for the mindset, I guess, of being that down and just thinking everything's because of you. I'm wondering what kind of factual evidence he has that ev- that everything is happening because of him, or is that just because he feel he he's only thinking that because he feels so bad? I'm sort of wondering why he's making those conclusions. Well, for me, it's because you know after looking after watching that scene where everyone's hugging and mm. and all that type of stuff, mm. Scott is very very much the odd man out yeah he was like, you know I couldn't do anything. and and yeah. I, yeah exactly and i feel like anyone who's put in that situation where they're you know on the outside looking in i think the natural conclusion is it must be me i must have done something wrong you know because everything seems to be fine over there but things are broken with me so it i must have done something what is it that i've done how have i created this problem i think that's just a a, a human uh, a human way of looking at things, mm. you know, and and because you know, you know, because you know, human beings are complicated, and facts and evidence don't always play into our thinking, mm. you know, because that's not how we see things. We're emotional mm. creatures, you know. We're not thinking about things logically. We're thinking about I'm hurt in this situation, and I feel bad. So if everything, if everyone else is doing so well in this moment, and I'm not, what have I done wrong, you know? And I, I feel like that's very much where Scott's coming from you know just because this is so new to him and and it, it just it just has to hurt a lot and, and i think he's just going to that he's naturally going to that place of it must be me yeah um 
I think that's pretty much everything with the episode, and also we've uh, you probably have to go and actually start working and stuff like that. But I wanted to quickly ask if there was anything that you kind of wanted to say in, in terms of your experience of, I guess, having your uh, script filmed. Like, you, you mentioned watching the dailies. Did you watch any of the scenes being shot live, or were you busy working on, other, you know, the other stuff? Or what was the kind of highlight of the episode coming to life for you? Sadly, I didn't get to see as much of the filming as possible because by the time we were shooting 508, we were, you know, so close to the end and we were Mm. were writing the last uh, couple of episodes at that time. But I was able to get out on set uh, a couple of days to see to see stuff. And it was great fun because it was my first, you know, my first episode of television to be produced. And also Dave Daniel, our director, he's our DP on every episode. And this Mm. was his first um, episode to direct. So it was. It was, it was wonderful fun going out and sitting there and watching the monitors with him because he was, you know, we were both kind of like kids in a candy store just because it was my first, first script and it was his first episode to direct. And we were both experiencing these things for the first time. And it was just, oh, it was just great fun. Um, and I wish I could have spent every moment of, of every of every day out there. But uh, <laughs> what I did get to see was, was, was fun. Yeah, good times. Karen, was there anything you wanted to uh, ask about about creating the episode? No, I think I got everything answered. Before Will has to, to go. Cool. Um, well, I think that's probably about it. We will let you go to work now. And, yeah, yeah thank you very much for basically coming and, and hanging out with us and talking us through your your episode. Is, is there anything you wanted to, to talk about or to say before uh, you go about, about the episode or about anything in general in the world? Uh, I had a great time writing this episode and it was, it, I can't tell you the euphoria I felt when my name came on the screen. It, uh, (laughs) was just wonderful and I'm so proud to be a part of such a great show and Jeff is an amazing boss and I love all the writers. Everyone is so great and everyone on the crew is great and everyone has been very kind and generous to let me be a part of this show and, and to give me a shot at, uh, you know, writing an episode and, and, uh, just, uh, being a part of this. It's, it's, it's the greatest job in the world and I love it very much. Uh, I love it very much. And of course the, not another team will podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. <laughs> oh, and I love it very much. And it's in every week, of course. And it's so much fun just being a part of a show that I love and, and then getting to hear y'all talk about a show that you love and that I get to be a part of it and to help shape something that means that's that's important to you. I mean, that's uh, that's that's just the best part is knowing that that I get to work on something that that makes other people happy and that makes them feel something, you know, good or or bad at times, you know, or wonderful or scared or great. You know, I mean, that's just that's just so much fun. And uh, it's it's just the greatest job in the world. And uh I hope I get to be here for as long as possible, and I will, of course, be listening to every single episode y'all do (laughs) because it's just fun. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice (laughs) and embarrassing. Thank you very much for uh, for doing that, um, saying that, and and yeah, we will. uh, You know, we'll have to yeah talk more more soon, and and I suppose and. Yeah, you get back to work with with Five B and and keep things rolling. I suppose we're all excited for for that. I can't believe this arc is almost over. I feel like not that much is going to be resolved in it, basically. So, yeah, I'm a bit worried about that. 
No worries, no worries. There there are good things coming. Lots of really? good, terrible, awesome drama. I was like, and wonderful, and good... wonderful stuff, great fields awry. Yeah, good, good, like genuinely objective, good, good things, really, though, really. Yes, good, there's good stuff, not just good drama, but it's coming. Yes, I, I can tell you 100%, with 100% confidence that uh, uh, there's lots of good stuff coming that will make you very happy and um, lots of smiles and uh, just good stuff. Uh, so... Just keep watching. We got okay. we got good stuff on the way. I'll be excited to smile again. That would be that would be nice. <laughs> so yeah. Yes. Cool. Um, we're gonna we're gonna. All wrap right. Up. Well, uh, y'all uh, have a good day. Yeah, I was gonna say we're gonna wrap it up now. We've got some feedback to go through, but you can probably we can probably do that without okay. you, unless there's any questions in particular that you you wanted to answer in the feedback. But yeah, if if you have to go off to work, uh, probably no. Uh, the stuff that I was looking at is nope. Got to keep, got to, got to keep mum's the word here. All right, and, nothing you uh, can say. Okay, we'll just talk through that. That's fine. You got, you, you go. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll just do that um, in a moment and, and put that on the end. But yeah, thank you so much uh, for coming on and and thank you for writing and congratulations and yeah, all, all good and and you know maybe you know next uh, season in three B we'll we'll do this again if you get uh, another episode as well. Well, I certainly hope I get another episode, and I will always come on the show because y'all are the best. Cool. And awesome. Uh, well, yeah, y'all have good days and nights, depending on where you are in the <laughs> world. Uh, and, yeah, I'll be talking to y'all soon, and uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, cool. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. So... We're just going to go through a little bit of feedback um, after that that fun discussion. Did you enjoy that, Karen? Yeah, that was cool. I always like getting insight into uh, the episode, like not even necessarily the spoilery stuff, because obviously they're tight-lipped about so much, and we kind of prefer it that way because we love the show and we don't want to be spoiled, but I like knowing the little things that I don't know about how like production works and, you know, breaking an episode and all of that. I always find that really fascinating. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good, um, good times and, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. But one of the um, one of the pieces of feedback we got on the Hyperball post was from a commenter called Brack saying, I don't know where this idea comes from that Scott doesn't understand the idea that sometimes lethal force is necessary. I suppose this is, uh, just to interject myself, I suppose this is in response to talking about uh, that Scott, you know, won't kill anyone or that Scott won't forgive Scott Styles for killing or something like that. said he had a whole conversation with his father about it in time of death. He raised no objection when Chris, Brayden and Derek were shooting to kill in Monstrous. He forgave the twins. He still holds out hope that Peter can be redeemed. I don't see how he'd find Styles' situation impossible to understand. How do you feel about that? I think this is an excellent point, especially like considering everything that the twins have done and, you know, hoping that Peter can be redeemed. I think that's an excellent point to Scott's character. I just wonder if the difference is the fact that it's Styles. You know, Styles is his age, it's his peer, it's his best friend, it's somebody he's known his entire life. I, I think there's a difference between seeing somebody like Chris, for instance, who is a hunter, who has kind of created this lifestyle for himself to be able to do things like this, or even Derek, who is older and is, is more worldly and knows sort of the situation, that there's a difference between those people and Styles. I mean, Styles is best friend he would hope that styles is 
better than that, I guess. But, um, you know, I think in the end, like Scott is going to forgive Styles. It's not like I think that their friendship is going to be over forever, but I think like the shock of it is going to cause a rift between them. Um, yeah, I do as well, but, you know, I think maybe this question is regarding, um, you know, why does Styles think that, you know, Scott would not understand this? But, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that it's going to be unforgivable either, but I think that also, yeah, this idea of, of Scott, you know, we don't kill people, is something that potentially the show could address in regards to, you know... Y- you know, there's only so long Scott can go around being like, oh, I don't kill people, but I don't mind other people killing people for me or, you know, being around me or defending, you know, my people by killing people. It's just me personally I won't kill. Like, there's only so long that that can kind of fly maybe. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it should be interesting. You know, I think that he would maybe not want to think that Styles was the kind of person that could do that, but never mind. Another one, Tumblr um, and a non on Tumblr says, question, how does a werewolf become a real wolf? I thought shape-shifting into a real wolf was like a trial of spirit. Derek went through a lot before he changed into a real wolf, and Talia was one as well. Why can Theo shift into a real wolf when he's a sociopath? Seriously. Like, seriously. Yeah. I, I that is the question. Like, I can't. There's something up with him. Why does he have gold eyes when he's killed people? Like, you know, like what? Like, what is happening here? Uh, you know, do you think this is more of like, oh, Theo might be a success at a chimera or, oh, Theo has like a pure heart and something is like, you know, possessing him and making him evil? Um, oh, I didn't think about that. Like, you know, Nigitsune, Kitsune style. Um, I, I mean, this is the question, isn't it? I mean, we really don't know. Why is Theo? <laughs> yeah. Why is Theo? Um, I, I think that. It could definitely be because he's a chimera that they've done something with him in order to give him, you know, these powers of like, so he's not detected, you know, so he has the gold eyes. He has the wolf. I mean, he hasn't told anybody yet that he can turn into a wolf, but those are the things that are going to make people want to trust him. And that's exactly what the Dread Doctors want him to do is to get close to Scott for whatever end they're both trying to get to. So it makes sense that being a chimera, he would have these specific abilities in order to do that. I really like the idea of like, Actually, you know what? No, I've just changed my mind. I really hate the idea of a spirit possibly inhabiting Theo because I want Theo to be evil and not to be around anymore. You I just want him, want him dead. Away. Yeah, that was a really nice way to say I want Theo to die. Okay, you um, want Theo to die. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I but mean, I, I wouldn't. He was being possessed by a spirit. I think that negates a lot of what he has done and kind of gives him an excuse and I don't want him to have an excuse. Fair enough. Um, I'm, I'm quite confused as to, yeah, as to what he, um, you know, why on earth he might be able to do the things he does, like the gold eyes and the wolf. Uh, you know, it could be that, you know, they've made him into the perfect criminal like this, the, you know, the perfect most. Okay. Have you actually read Twilight? Yes. Okay. You know how Edward Cullen explains to Bella that he is made into the perfect predator by becoming this very, like, you know, everything about him is meant to attract you, like his voice and and all of that kind of stuff. Like, 
maybe like Theo is like the perfect predator or the perfect evil doer because he he's been given all of these innocent qualities. If you know what I mean, like they've right. basically give they've been like, oh, he can't possibly be evil because he hasn't killed anyone. He's got you know the eyes or you know he he does the spiritual pure-hearted wolf thing. You know, like he's been given these these qualities that sort of protect him from being suspic you know suspicious if that makes sense yeah that makes a lot of sense to me um going on from that um we got a a couple of emails from gavin um who has sent a few things and i'm just going to read out a couple of points from his emails because they were very long and i enjoyed them very much and i may may reply to them privately but just a couple of things to share on the podcast uh, one of the questions he's asked was, if you were visited by the Dread Doctors and were going to be made into a chimera but had a choice which animal cre- or creature or traits, what would you choose? Dude, that's a really good question. You don't want um, creepy wings? Well, I was like, man, flying would be really cool, but then, like, oh, those wings, like, I'm going to have nightmares about them. Like, my back feels funny right now. I just, I can't think about them anymore. So, I will pick my favorite animal on the planet, which is a A cheetah, cheetah. which would allow me to (laughs) run really fast, and I feel like that would be super useful in Beacon Hills. Yeah, that's true, because, um, I suppose, yeah, it would be good with that. I'm trying to think what I would like. Uh, maybe not wings. They seem, like, hard to, like, hide. I would want something that <laughs> came out when I wanted it to come out. Like, you know, vision. Something vision-y would be good. Or breathing underwater. Maybe something fish-like with gills uh, that are, that weren't flapping <laughs> open in my neck all of the time, that they just activated <laughs> when I went underwater. That's what I'd like, uh, is swimming power. Like, vision. Like the gillyweed in Harry Potter, but, like... Like it didn't yeah. affect me the whole time, basically. Yeah, uh, that's that would be my instant choice because I really like looking at things underwater, like snorkeling. So that would be good for me. Uh, I want to you know, know what listeners think too. Like, if you could choose an animal, you know, tweet us, let us know, know. or whatever they do, supernatural creature of some sort. Like, if you'd want to be like part Wendigo or oh god, whatever. I don't know why you'd want that. <laughs> Uh, a couple of other uh, ones. Um, just wondering, did we ever get confirmation who pulled the new growth out of the Nemeton? Because we had the option of Void Styles on Nashiko, but how about our favourite deputy who's taking trips out there? Who knows? I don't know if that is even meant to be a thing or not, but, yeah, I'm confused. Um, okay. I thought we learned who it was, and for some reason I thought it was Chris. Maybe we were just thinking that it was Chris, and it never got confirmed it's been a little while since I've been able to watch that. So if anybody does actually remember, please let us know. True. Um, yeah, if anyone can answer that question, that would be great. Um, and then he's also added, with with Natalie being a big Hannibal fan, has she seen King Arthur and seen who two of the knights are? It was on late one night the other week, and I flick over it to it and went, hang on, that's Will Graham and Dr. Lecter. Yes, you have no idea how aware I am. I saw that movie... Like, in the cinemas, and I was, like, taken... They have really good chemistry in that movie. Um, he, They play um, Tristan and Galahad, I think, like, two of the knights of the round table, and they have, like, sassy chemistry, even them, and it's one. I think it's one of the reasons why they got cast in Hannibal, because they got on really well and they had previous chemistry. So, yes, I am super aware of that. Um, 
But just scrolling through quickly to a couple of other points, which is one of them saying, do you think Styles' willingness to kill could bode well for him becoming an emissary? We know they're about balance and Morel was willing to help him, but also to kill him. So what do you think about like the whole emissary role and what they do with balance and whether that's something that Styles would be right for? I think that in a lot of ways we've been sort of seeing that idea move along slowly throughout the series just because of everything with the mountain ash and, you know, be the spark and all of that sort of thing. Um, I didn't think about the whole balance part of it, but I think that's really interesting. I would love to see Styles become an emissary because I think that would allow him a little more, like, power and maybe physicality like he could learn to defend himself more like what Lydia is trying to go through right now and all of that um I I don't know if that's something that will actually happen but I would love to learn more about the emissaries and I would love for Scott to have an emissary I don't know if Deaton is technically his emissary but he should probably get a replacement yeah, I don't know if he's very good at it. Uh, he might want someone of his own generation. I think that the balance thing is a good point, but I don't know if that's where Styles is at about it at the moment. I, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of those pieces that could fit together, but I, I need to know more about Styles, Styles killing people, uh, basically, um, to, to make that call properly. Um, a couple of other things... Uh, another email we had from Rachel said, the thing I love, uh, this is, she was talking about how everything on Teen Wolf has happened on Buffy. Um, so saying the thing I love most is how it's a new Buffy. Buffy will always be better though. I mean, it's different. Uh, this season is akin to Buffy season four, the initiative building a crazy monster, a chimera out of parts of demons. The episode, the Yoko factor turning the gang against each other. The last episode restless that ends the season with the gang being stalked and killed in their dreams. If you know the Buffy verse in and out, like I do, you can see where teen wolf is going and what will happen. Oh my God. Will Scott get a little brother that never existed before this season? because <laughs> that that was the culmination of season four of Buffy but anyway what do you think that they're referring to besides uh Dawn oh gosh um I'm not really sure I mean there are definitely lots of parallels between Buffy and Teen Wolf I think that sort of just happens when Buffy was such a huge influence in this genre of shows that um it makes sense to want to pay homage to that and um, as, as to where they're going, I don't know. I mean, I still think that Teen Wolf is different and I don't think that they're going to do anything that's ever too close to what Buffy did. I think that they're still their own entity and that it's going to be, um, something different, but I honestly, truthfully have no idea what's going to happen in these last two episodes. I can't even begin to guess. The <laughs> only thing I know is that it's probably going to be bad. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. I'm not quite sure what plot point of Buffy they're referring to here either. Um, I can't, I'm trying to remember what happens. Uh, I mean, the initiative gets overthrown, obviously, eventually, but, um, well, sort of. But, I don't know, I'm curious. Write in and tell us what you mean, because I'm, I'm trying to think through it, and, and uh, I may go and read up season four of Buffy again to see what you have found, basically. So I am 
excited to to figure that out. Uh, but I don't know if it's exactly the same as as Buffy. You know, I I don't know if if we can make that prediction and. You know, I'd also think that, you know, if they want to do something different, even if they know there is a parallel, they'd purposely do something different. Like, not that they'd, not that the path would end up being exactly the same. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know, I see the similarities, but I don't know if we can expect that to give us the answers. All right, uh, we will let you guys all get back to your lives now and hope you've enjoyed our Teen Wolf rambling rambling with Will Wallace um, and with our nice fan theories. If you want to write to us, uh, you can, and we'll put put you on the podcast next week. Uh, Tumblr, not another Teen Wolf podcast on Tumblr, or Twitter, natwpodcast, um, or Gmail, natwpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I read out a few tweets during the during the course of the episode as well, including one by um, something Kayla uh, Kat, Katya underscore Katya Flores underscore was the person who gave me the idea, saying uh, maybe a stretch, but didn't Doctor D say they were working on babies? Maybe Malia was experimented on before birth, which could be a reason why you know if the you know. If the desert wolf, for all of her, you know, craziness and aggression, does fight on the side for quote-unquote good, she could be trying to eliminate all of the chimeras, including her own daughter. So, you never know. Um, That seems to be that theory, but I'm not sure if that's what her story is going to be or not, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll see you next week. Uh, What's the episode next week called? It is called Lies of Omission. Okay, interesting. Um, and when do you think that we're going to get all of these reveals about Theo and about all of the the crazy nonsense, basically? Um, possibly this next episode, since it's called Lies of Omission. Also, <laughs> I just saw the title for the 10th episode. I, is this real? Because it's called Status Asthmaticus. Mm. Yeah, it's real. Actually, I, I, I actually um, saw a great ask on Tumblr about that, but I thought that we'd already covered status assessment, like that news. So I'll, I'll just pull it up actually right now because it's actually quite important if you didn't know that already. So hang on. Um, I'll just grab it because I had it one moment ago. Yeah, the, the finale is called Status Asthmaticus. Um, and we had Blue Florette, who actually had a comment uh, last week, who was great, uh, but saying, I was hunting around to see if there were any new information for next week's episode on Zaptwip when I noticed that we have an episode title for the 5A finale, Status Asthmaticus. Given Scott's two asthma attacks in required reading, despite his werewolf powers, and obviously I'll add in that he, you know, had to use his inhaler again this week uh, for, for whatever reason, a season finale named after a serious asthma, a severe asthma attack that doesn't respond to normal treatment sounds kind of terrifying, and that would be true even if viewers weren't already told to expect a cliffhanger leading into 5B. Teen Wolf likes their multi-layer episode titles, so I thought it was interesting to see this medical condition also described as attacks that follow one another without pause. Sounds a little like all the problems the pack have been facing since senior year began, or even all of Mm. the seasons viewed as a whole. Blue Florette, you should come and do the podcast instead of me, because you're clearly... um... You, you clearly come up with better ideas than I do, so, yeah. Um, so is this a real real thing, Status Asthmaticus? 
Okay, that's cool. I mean, it's much less funny now, but I was like, wait, what? Is it really called that? It just, it seemed a little, like, silly, but if it's real, then... It's real. Yeah, okay. it's real. Acute severe asthma also restored to a status asthmaticus. Some medical technician had fun naming that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, it's kind of funny, but also when you learn what it is, quite terrifying. So, I mean, it makes sense as the mid-season finale for season five. So I guess I'm not too surprised. Yeah. Good times. All right. Well, I suppose with all of that, we'll end, we'll go and we, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week um, after Lies of Omission. So, yeah. All right. Until then, it's been real, guys, I guess. <laughs> you Okay. Yeah, just what kind of sign-off was that? It's been real. Yes, it's been so real. Keep it cool. I don't know, something. I'm going to go. All right. It's 2.30 a.m., so all right, I'm going to go. Yes. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Came out really, really high. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. All right.